So we're here to talk about WWDC, obviously, since we're live, and uh, just want to put it around the table here. So what uh, what did you think was the most impressive thing you've seen? Well, I think uh, people are probably going to agree on this, but the Swift UI stuff was very impressive. Right. And what was impressive is how uh, much it seems to be a representation of ideas that we see in other language communities mm-hmm. and other stacks. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, people were saying, why doesn't Apple do this? Look how backward they are. And then, whoa, lo and behold, they've actually been working on it for years, <laughs> and it seems pretty good. Um, one thing that's especially interesting to me is how some of the language features that we knew about uh, actually turn out to be very useful for supporting this. So there was just there was this motivations for some of the language development that we weren't aware of. And uh, I think the big question in my mind, just looking at it, is uh, probably again a question a lot of people are having. But this looks really great. It looks really great for simple apps. It, hopefully, it'll be really great for complex apps too. But I want to like see you know how that works, like how the interop is, and and what's like fundamentally better about it that uh, will make it work better for complicated apps, and what's uh, you know somewhat better but it's not going to it's not going to take away all the problems that are just part of user interface application development right it seems mm-hmm. to be something that will make develop easy easy for people to adopt development and writing for uh, app or apple platforms but um is it is it very close to react you know react native or uh i'm not an authority on that but i think the basic uh, model of declarative representation of the ui and then strong patterns that enforce a functional like data flow pattern where you get the model and goes to view and that's a reliable one-way path that's not just uh you know react native but it's like react on the web. So it's, a, it's, it's a model view, view model kind of idea? I, whenever model view, view model comes up, I start on a like maybe somewhat uncharitable rant about like people just say model <laughs> view, view model because they keep they keep like to invent new acronyms, but really anyone who was doing MVC correctly was already being fairly orderly about how they would progress state into the views. So why do you need a new acronym for it? Why don't you right. just do it right? And then I start feeling like a really cranky curmudgeon. <laughs> so I, I would not want to be uh, you know presenting myself as an authority of whether it's MVVM. I, I would say that as near as I can tell, the essence of the idea, which is available in uh, other languages and other kind of uh, user interface patterns as well, is please be careful about the state, which which is, represents values mm-hmm. that are going to appear as views, and then have a nice, clean, orderly function that takes your values and emits your views, the stuff on screen. And uh, in some sense, I would say people who are very organized about MVC or reasonably organized around it are already working in that way. Mm-hmm. You can see the functions that move uh, model values into your views, whether you're creating views or updating them, but there's a difference between having a complicated system where it's possible to use it in an orderly way and having a system that makes the guidelines and rails very clear that you that you move along. So when I look at this, it seems to me like it makes things better by making those guidelines and rails really clear. That's sort of a superficial difference, but it's one that makes a big difference. Like Ruby on Rails was so successful partly because it was really articulating a clear opinion on paths, on a style of development and architecture that would work well. Uh, the question in my mind is, uh, what are the benefits besides those ones that come from just making the path clear? Are there other benefits that make the system fundamentally more composable mm-hmm. uh, than what we work with with UIKit? And I don't really know yet because I haven't I haven't tried, but, uh, but that's the thing that's really on my mind. I can see how this is better in ways that are sort of superficial, but that can be really important, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a way like Swift introduced these supports for functional programming that were kind of superficial, like better syntax for immutability, better support for passing closures around, for defining closures. You do all these things in Objective-C, so in some way the 
advantages that Swift provided functional programming were kind of superficial, but they were really important superficials. They made it so easy and accessible that it became convenient and people did it. But in the same way, I wonder, are the benefits for user interface application development in Swift UI like superficial but very important, or are there also, you know, much deeper benefits and kinds of composability that come out of the model? Mm-hmm. And I don't know, but that's that's the question that's really on my mind. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, w- I wonder if some of the simplifications are going to make it harder to do very complicated layout, like right. some of these really crazy collections where views are moving all over the place. Or anytime uh, you want to be able to do that. Yeah, anytime you want to do something custom, is this going to be, you know, kind of like storyboards? Like it'll make an easy thing easier, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. the moment you want to do something that's not easy, now you're actually in a world that was more complicated than it was before? Like it makes easy things easy, it makes harder things harder. Or right. is it going to make right. easy things easy and make hard things also easier? Right. Which is what we're all hoping for. But yeah, we'll have to see. I'm trying not to just come off as like curmudge- curmudgeonly because I haven't really like tried to build that's, anything that's to get job, actually. Right. Okay. Right. <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, you know, outsource my, my curmudgeonliness to you. Like, uh, I mean, I agree with everything Alexis was saying. I think there's, uh, you know, the language features seeing like a really interesting sort of like way of seeing the progression here and like the things that they were adding over the years through Swift Evolution and everything else eventually, you know, paying off here. And I do think that there is, you know, a really um, encouraging sign seeing Apple taking good ideas from other places and incorporating them into Swift and Xcode, um, you know, the value types and immutability and making that, you know, first class citizens and trying to integrate them into everything. Uh, where I see the similarity to React and this kind of stuff is in the diffing updates. And they even had, I was looking for it in my notes, but it is something about learn once, use everywhere. That's right. very yeah, close to that. that slogan that, you know, sort of different frameworks are using. I was actually talking to another developer who does Flutter uh, right. for her company, and she's like, oh, there's so many similarities. And she was looking at the Swift UI hashtag on Twitter, and there was Flutter developers with, like, screenshots of Dart and Swift next to each other. So I think that's all, you know, actually encouraging and sort of promising. And, um, you know, it's definitely appealing to, like, the web developers with the uh, live previews that are mm-hmm. reloading yeah. as you type or, you know, you can make um, active and then, you know, even click around and see the live update. And yeah, you could say there's, there's, like, three stories here. There's, like, a tooling story, kind of live updates like people are used to who use, like, CodePen or JavaScript developers. Mm-hmm. There's a kind of programming model story, uh, declarative representations of the UI that's directly passed into the converted to views through pure functions managed by the framework. Um, and then the third aspect is the platform unification story, like the fact that you know, the Swift UI thing can be used for the watch and iPad right. and, yeah. and the phone yeah. and, and tvOS. If they'd only announced just the platform unification story, like if it was kind of the old stuff, but hey, now it works everywhere, we'd probably still feel like that was kind of cool and a lot to talk about, mm-hmm. but there's so much in this that it takes a while to unpack it. Yeah, it's funny. I've, I've been hearing a lot of things from other people about, like, it's, it's not really ready for production and that kind of stuff, and I think there's a bit of naysaying happening. People even calling it SUI on, online, you know, SUI. Mm. Um, but that's what they said about Swift 1, but that <laughs> didn't stop me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I was using that it in my notes a couple just years. because well, it was ready. Then. Coming at it from a, from a non-computer science background, I mean, like, you know, I started off with scripting languages and that kind of stuff, like, you know, the, the PHPs and, your file, and even using FileMaker Pro kind of uh, stuff where you just kind of drag things, even HyperCard if we go back that far. And that was very similar. You just sort of put things together and, and you know, kind of, if you needed to do something, you had to go and research, like, how, what do I do with this mouse click, that kind of stuff, right? But um, I kind of wonder, is it is it, like, going to introduce programming or iOS development to more people, or even watch development to more people, because it's simplified, in a sense? Yeah, I think you'll, I mean, just look at the tools. It looks so much more accessible, and I think that'll make a difference. It's funny that you mentioned uh, dynamic programming environments here, though, mm-hmm. because the irony is that one of the most dynamic programming devi- environments for building up user interfaces was Smalltalk. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, yeah. and Objective-C was you know, originally supposed Derivative, to kind of yeah. capture the dynamism of Smalltalk while also giving you access to the performance of C. And I think uh, you know, 
in much earlier iterations when Interface Builder uh, was more of a first-class citizen code, that that uh, promise was closer to being there. But in some but in some way now we're like moving away from the stack that originally uh, was motivated by and was was intended to provide this dynamism. That's that's another puzzle here, right? Like Swift is a fairly static language compared to Objective C, and I think traditionally um, dynamic development environments uh, have been based in dynamic languages, and people thought that was necessary. Smalltalk and Lisp, classic, uh, like very dynamic languages that also had these very impressive um, development environments, like whether it's the old like Lisp machines or just the fact that you can like hack your co- hack your text editor while you're writing in it in Emacs and Smalltalk with the object browsers. Um, but now we're seeing with Swift this effort to create the kind of very dynamic development environment, but on top of a static language that requires these extra language features. And uh, I hope it works out. I hope it works out. Uh, right, right. But, it, but it, 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 there's some like interesting ironies when you think about the history of it all here. So we've been, you and I have been chatting back and forth on Slack with Jaime on our MTJC Slack. Mm-hmm. And you were asking, because you hadn't seen any of the stuff yet, or even the keynote yet, like, what is this? Like, where is the view controller? Where is this stuff hidden? I mean, I right, do have an answer right. for you. But apparently it's a home view controller, which is a subclass of UI view controller, which they mentioned yesterday. But so what do you think about this this new paradigm? Maybe it chance to look at it at all? Well, I've looked at it a little bit. I haven't gone deeply into it. Uh, it, it looks it looks pretty interesting. At, at the same time, though, I am happy to see that they haven't completely forgotten about UIKit uh, with some of the new language features. There was a, a real nice talk on these uh, diffable uh, data sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think data flow in, in particular UI, with UI. respect to collection views. That mm-hmm. was real nice. So so I am glad to see. So just in case this stuff isn't really ready for prime time, there's at least some attempt to retrofit some of the new language features back to this thing. Uh, yeah, I haven't had a chance to see the, the collection view talk, but apparently that they didn't quite go like it, you know we joked about this a couple of weeks ago and last week about the about there's always some sort of overriding overarching theme that's in everything like everything mm-hmm. has Swift UI in it at some point mm-hmm. um, and we've seen that with dark mode or not dark mode but we've seen that with the large font type everything had to have large font type this sort of becomes a running theme of almost a gag at WWDC actually um, I would say the theme is is more combined rather than combined no, so that's where I was going to go now I was going to ask about combined because because mm-hmm. to be honest with you I will be honest with you I haven't completely wrapped my head around it but I went to a session yesterday which kind of explained it was called combined practically and talking about you know having a publisher and then having um, a subscriber uh, mm-hmm. as, as as you know how the communication goes to, and then send subscriber senses view that kind of stuff and there was another uh, I have to look at my notes too but there was another uh, um, medium for doing that so um, so what do you what do you think about combined what can you say about it again I, I don't know too much about it because I, I was exposed just you know Briefly, just yeah. as much as you have but but my impression is that it's a it's kind of a nice modern way of taking uh, NS notifications and right. KVO, KVO and yeah. kind of all wrapping it up into a nice clean wrapper. Yeah. Uh, and it's clearly the uh, underlying technology to all the bindings that are in Swift UI. Sure, yeah. It's definitely under the hood there. So it looks it looks pretty interesting. Uh, again, need to dig more into it. Yeah, so the that. session I went to yesterday, they talked about you know callbacks, uh, closures, mm-hmm. notifications, and KVO being all sort of part of this thing. And they went on, they talked about it quite a bit using Combine in, in regular develop, regular iOS development. But then they talked about the special handling that Swift UI has because mm. it makes it a lot simpler. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, almost to the point where I don't need to understand it, which kind of scares me in a sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> it scares you in a sense, I'm sure. Mm. <laughs> no surprise there. So, Jaime, you and I both picked the same thing again. <laughs> Only mine looks different than yours, I think. Yeah, yours and mine are the same. So, go ahead. 
spoil my party. Yeah, there's uh, some nice tutorials out there and some nice documentation. The first one is the tutorials site, so developer.apple.com slash tutorial slash SwiftUI mm-hmm. has uh, sort of a nice, really cool, you know, why should you even care if you're not convinced so far sort of little site. But then also critically has the tutorials, which cover the essentials, drawing and animation, app design and layout, and framework integration. So working with UI kit, for example. And I've only stepped a little bit through these. I really need to sit down and deal with it, but it's really pretty neat and it's kind of cool how it shows you step-by-step what you should be seeing and what should be happening. Word to the wise, if you haven't gone um, and created a volume for Catalina, or I guess even gone all in on, on the beta for your main machine, if you're running anything lower than Catalina, you can do Swift UI, but you will not get the live preview that they showed on stage. So that's something that people were getting tripped up on. Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta, you know, build and rerun like an animal like we used to back two <laughs> weeks ago. Yeah. Who could do that? Yeah. No, yeah. I've been playing with it uh, quite a bit. Um, did a quick demo for the folks at work, uh, yesterday as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm really liking it. And it's also pretty early days. I have not encountered this in the, uh, in the tutorials yet, but some people said like, Oh, um, looks like some stuff will come in future seeds of the betas, like uh, UI split view controller for iPad and Catalyst or something. I forget what, I'll see if I can find the tweet. And the other thing would be that um, I think the form element is also one that will come in a future seed. Right. I believe right. that one is known. So uh, just like real, real early days of Swift, don't be surprised if things are uh, totally broken one week and then a week later we get a new seed and then it totally works. We have ABI stability now, don't we? I'm kidding. Um, I discovered one thing too, is and that's when I was working through it, that uh, if you make a mistake, like I made a typo in one of my one of my lines of code, I, I typed in a variable name incorrectly, and um, yeah, it started showing errors all through the app, and it, it, was, it showed every everywhere but where the actual error was. And I ended up having to go and do a diff uh, between what I changed and what was there before to see where I'd made a mistake. It was something like I forgot the I in the word image, for example. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was very confusing to try and figure out what where you had gone wrong. So if, you know, a little bit of uh, a little bit of patience sort of figuring out the landscape here in terms of um, kind of mistakes you can make and, and how they get displayed. So, but I did find that the, um, there's when you're in the preview mode, there's a little diagnostics um, thing. Like if, if your view doesn't render you can there's a diagnostic you can tap there and it'll tell you pretty much what what you're doing what's what's missing from from the uh, why it's unable to render the, the the preview right so um like if you make a mistake in your code obviously you can't render that can't you know can't you know uh, build i guess right and you can you can force a build too like if you if you go in and as you're typing you know you get the sort of red marks in there and you know how sometimes the compiler takes a while especially on the slower machine like a macbook air uh it takes a while to sort of you know rebuild you can actually do a command b and, and get it to, to do a build to, to catch up to where you are in your code, right? Like if you're ahead of the compiler. So, yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's really interesting to sort of see, you know, the minimal amount of code you can put in to get some pretty cool effects, right? Yeah. Did it make you nostalgic for the first seeds of Swift uh, and how broken the tooling was? Well, it's not, it's not that bad. I mean, I, I know I did tweet about it this afternoon, but it, 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 was a, it was a little confusing at first. Like I'm looking at this thing going, okay, what did I do wrong? And, and it's not really clear that, you know, this line here is the one where you made the mistake. Like in, in current versions of uh, Swift 4 and 5, it's much clearer about where the mistake was. But I, I don't know if you remember back in, in, I think around Swift 2, if you made a mistake, you know, it might show you the error five or six lines or even a half a page away from where the actual error had occurred. Because, you know, somewhere else is trying to read in the, the broken data, right? And that's why it shows the error where it does, right? So um, it, it can be a little, little confusing if you're if you're running to that. So I've been what I've been doing as I've been going through is, is every time I do something successful, 
I commit, right? And then if I go to the next step of a tutorial or whatever and I make a mistake, I can always go back and see, okay, what actual lines did I change? And what's cool about it is now is in Xcode 11, now can see the changes you've made. They've got that blue bar that appears on between the project navigator and the standard editor. Now you get a blue bar down the left-hand side. You can click on that and it'll, it'll show you like a diff between what you've what you've just done and what was there before. So I haven't really got into using the mini-map yet. That, I don't know if you have at all, Jaime, but uh, that you can scroll over that and, and jump right to um, different sections depending on how you break out your code, whether you use the, you know, the mark um, statements and stuff like that. I haven't tried that. I loaded the betas um, and I haven't like gone through and seen all the really cool little things you can do, like the mini-map. Yeah. Yeah, well, like I said, I took my sacrificial Mac with me down to the show. So, uh, yeah, when I first installed Xcode 11, I stumbled across that why am I not getting a preview thing for you know a few hours and then and dawned on me that uh, you need to put uh, actually it was the the diagnostic thing said you can't you can't preview this unless you're running on uh, Catalina so that's where I discovered the benefit of having the diagnostic tool there and as well the fact that I need to update my OS yeah I'm I'm really liking it I mean like it's it's so cool so magical like it's almost witchcraft right in terms of how how cool it is how, how, you know getting instant results it, it makes me reminiscent of when I was first learning uh, PHP you know because you, you could basically do stuff, refresh your browser, and then, you know, get a either an update of successful <laughs> deployment or a completely blank screen, you know, and you'd be scratching your head going, where did I go wrong? Usually misplaced comma or something like that, or semicolon. So this is an article by um, on Seashore.com, which is by Eddie Sullivan, a uh, I believe a consultant, software engineer. But the basic premise of this post is, what do you do when you can't use the new hotness and you can't use mm. Swift UI and combine? And he's got to think a very pragmatic approach of like, look, if even if you can't use it today, you can start thinking about your app in a way such that it will be easier to migrate in the future. Right, right. Even if you just sort of read the um, um, the section headers like minimize sources of truth. Views represent a state, not a stream of events. Use an update function, dispatch modification events, and then figuring out, you know, when should a UI component own data and how are you mm. dealing with those impacts? And also you should probably create reusable components and prefer immutability. I think all of these are pretty, pretty good ideas if you want to get into the following the same architecture and lifestyle uh, and life cycle of data that Swift UI combined are leading us towards. Yeah, I did. He talks about this. Uh, he recommends this in, early in the article about the data flow through Swift UI. I did go to that session, and it covers a lot of. Uh, or was it Combine in practice? I'm going to start King Combine now. I guess. Anyway, um, you guys will have to get over it. Uh, the I, I watched one of the WDC videos where they had two different speakers. One of yeah. which called it Combine, and the other one called it Combine in the same talk. So I don't think anybody knows what it's really called. <laughs> All right. Um, so. Uh, the, I think it was the um, the, um, the combine in in practice. They talked about the three different ways, the three different paradigms for using combine. And I think that one was like sort of more in a traditional type app, and then it moved towards how you can get into using bindings and state stuff like that in in Swift UI. So Swift UI does a, has a, handles a lot of it like automatically for you, just like it does with the the rest of the, the structure of the app. Um, whereas you know you have more of that sort of uh, publisher subscriber and, and who does what to whom kind of thing uh, to deal with in um, in the, you know, if you're really working in traditional uh, iOS apps or, or in Mac OS apps as well. So, but check out that uh, data flow through Swift UI. I remember that one was, it was a good one, but also the combine in practice. Yeah, I, I think one that will be probably reasonably easy for folks to do uh, out of some of these things will be, I guess it's almost the same, two halves of the same coin. The um, views represent
representing a state, not a stream of events, and mm-hmm. using an update function. The idea here, and it's something that I've used to really good effect, is to have your view be really as dumb as possible. Um, and that's more than just UI view. Like when we're talking about that sort of cohabitating UI view, UI view controller idea. Treat them both you know, almost roughly the same. We're talking about this architecturally. Right, and right. if you have your view or your know, view controller say, okay, this other thing is telling me what to do, right? And, and let's call it a view model uh, as loaded as that word is. Let's just call it that, right? This other thing is saying like, okay, I'm a view. What should I do with this image? Oh, use this image. Great. Um, I also need to display an attributed string here. Great. This other thing is telling me what to display and have that just be sort of a single pass through sort of thing where as this view um, gets initialized with that data, it's setting, you know, all these different UI kit enabled things. And then if you want to deal with, well, what happens if a user chooses another thing and they want to have, uh, you know, the screen blink red, for example. Um, well, that's what the update function is about. That does sort of the second half of that life cycle where, oh, now I need to change my background on some alternating schedule between, you know, red and not red, or I need to bold some text somewhere. But it makes it really easy to reason about like, wait, how did I even get into this state? Well, there's only a handful of entry points, ideally one, where that information would have changed. And that should be pretty similar to how combined is working with things where you're watching bindings and other uh, variables to say, oh, I am going to react to this change that has occurred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. There's, But there's one place where, where that can get a little tricky, and that's if you have long animations. Uh, honey, mm-hmm. what happens if, and I've faced this situation lots of times, and there's, there's not one simple answer, but if the state can change faster than the lifetime of the animation, how do you handle that? So say a state comes in, and and you know the result of the state is oh this animation needs to be kicked off as as a function of that state uh, and then uh, and then again as I said the state changes and the animation is still going that kind of thing can be a little bit tricky to handle in that that type of situation maybe maybe that just means you have to rethink how your animations work and that's sort of a design problem uh, and and so so maybe if you can if if you can have uh, all of your animations correspond to some existing state and then when the state changes, you can just turn off the animation, then maybe you can get around that kind of thing. But but sometimes that requires a little bit of thinking through and, and it can be a little bit tricky. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think if I'm getting the flavor of what you're talking about, if you have that sort of um, you know deeper requirement, then you might have to use something like the UI um, UI property animators yep, yep. and hang on to stuff so you can be like, whoa, 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 this isn't a fire and forget um, UI view animate with duration, like whatever, like I don't care what happens, just do it. You might actually have to do a little bit of extra bookkeeping to say, whoa, I, the state has changed to this, so if this thing is there, I need to cancel it. Yeah. Don't do that animation, do this other one. And, and one thing that's interesting about UI property animators is that is that they can have parameters of their own. They can have properties of their own. So in theory, you can have a, an animation going and change a, a property of an animation in, on the fly by just changing the property on the UI property animator, which is kind of a cool thing. Yeah, and I guess if things really got hairy, I mean, these are, we're talking about operations that are going to work kind of like NS operation and you might end up having to use that sort of extra structure and infrastructure if you really got a, okay, this thing was going to fold itself into a triangle, but now it needs to look like pony. Right, right.
Tommy, why don't you dive in with some picks? Oh, yeah, how did we how did we decide? Is it fracking Swift UI? We're just we gonna call, yeah, free show. Yeah, or gosh darn Swift UI. Yeah, the the happier one is gosh darn Swift UI. And if you are familiar with the uh, Objective C block syntax or the mm-hmm. Swift closure syntax sites, you can visualize in your head what the proper URL will be. But for sure, you will get there from gosh darn Swift UI. Be aware that the website itself has some profanity listed on there. It's Sort of a, a nice little tip of the hat to the gosh darn block syntax website that people you learn and love. And what it's all about is sort of helping you understand what in the world is even, how do I even, what's going on in Swift UI. That's sort so, of a cheat sheet, right? Yeah. So it's got a little FAQ section of like, should I learn this? Should I learn it now? Will it replace these things? You know, that's good and all requirements. The bigger thing for me is just seeing everything laid out nicely in a tabular format of what is your UI kit equivalent? And what would that be in Swift UI? So it is your your uh, Rosetta Stone. It is your cheat sheet for how do those map? And then some examples of how would you deal with text? What about images? Or how do you deal with navigation and pickers and sliders and other things? So definitely you can um, use other resources like the official Apple Docs and tutorials. And Ray Renderlich's team has books coming out. Um, code plus design or design plus code from Meng is coming out with a, a course. And uh, Paul Hudson, the... Uh, the caffeine-filled vampire, as we mentioned last week. Yeah. <laughs> also yeah. already sure has he's like, published reading the, the time you know, we're like, listening to the show, yeah. Yeah, like, there's just so much content out there that sometimes just having a nice little cheat sheet that you could you could probably print out and have on your desk, or at least have here, so you can do a little uh, Control-F searching for, like, oh, come on, man, like, I need to know, uh, how, how does a tab view work? What's a tab thing? Oh, it's a tab view. Okay, and then you can do this, 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 that. Okay, cool. Nice little examples. Right, cool. Yeah, no, it's definitely, definitely, I mean, and it's one of these picks where we kind of race to the to the. Google Notes, a Google Doc at the same time because I found it and headed over to paste it into the uh, show notes a couple of days ago. And of course, you know that that darn Jaime Lopez beat me there again. So. Yes, I've I've noticed there's a pattern to these. So you are at a distinct advantage when news comes out early in the morning because mm-hmm. you live in the three hour future, right? Right. You, you get to warn us when things are about to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, me, however, being three hours past of where you are, I'm at a very large advantage when things come out later at night, particularly right. because I'm, you know, kind of a severe night owl. So mm-hmm. while you are dreaming happy thoughts about Swift UI and iPhones and other things, um, I'm diligently stealing all the best picks that come out late at night. Hmm. Interesting. Yep. There you go. All right. So I have two picks, unless Mark has a pick, stealth pick. Don't have a pick, although I'm but, hunting for information about this, these uh, segues here. Oh, now, now you're curious. Oh, okay. Well, now, I found a trouble. reference in, I found an article uh, by Patrick Balestra called uh, WWDC 2019, The Things You May Have Missed. That it should, mm-hmm. And there's just a whole bunch, whole list of things about that, that we might have missed. And one of them is very intriguing. It says, uh, it, it mentions the, the thing that Paul Husband was just talking about, but then the next line it says, similar improvements have been made to UI storyboard segue with the new at IB segue action modifier. You can pass additional context and parameters directly to the next segue view controller that should be initialized. So that's that sounds exactly like what I'm looking for. Although I haven't been able to right. find any docs on this explicitly, I'm still looking for that. So that's my pick. All right. Maybe I'll have more to say on that in a minute. All right. Okay, cool.
These are, these are from Hacking with Swift Live 2019, which just uh, happened a couple of three weeks ago uh, in the UK, in Bath, England, and uh, hosted by our friend uh, Paul Hudson, uh, Two Straws, or the Hacking with Swift guy. Um, but the first one I want to talk about is is uh, Daniel Steinberg's talk uh, called The Swift Behind Swift UI. And it's a really fascinating talk. It's about, uh, I think it's around 30 minutes long, and it's, it's one of Daniel Steinberg has this really cool way of, of, of disseminating what is happening in Swift. I saw him do one of these on, I believe it was on Swift 3, and it was just as Swift 3 was coming out. Um, and this is at NS North 2016, I guess. Um, he did a talk, sort of talking about where Swift was going and why Apple would be going the way that, that they're going. Um, so in this one, he talked about a number of different things that, uh, behind Swift. And he, he started out by, by creating a, an error in a Swift UI file by, you know, uh, putting in a print statement and it spit out a, it spit out a bunch of other things and a couple of really weird errors like one about an opaque return type, blah, blah, blah. So he went through and he explains in this video, I'm just going to paraphrase a bit, he, he talks about implicit re- implicit returns, uh, which is now a feature in, in Swift 5. Um, talked about opaque return types, which we've talked about on the show bef- in the previous shows. Talked about function builders, which is, you know, a new thing in here. Property wrapper, property wrappers, which are the, you know, the at environment variable at binding, at um, state, uh, things that we've seen in Swift UI. Talks about map and flat map, and it's a cool example. He, he, he got this from uh, Erica Sadoon. Was he was showing how you could basically, you know, declare an image, and if it was an optional image, you could use map to unwrap it. So in other words, instead of having to use a flutz or whatever, you just pass it through a map, and if the image exists, then of course the map will execute whatever it's doing, and if it doesn't exist, it just will ignore it. So kind of a handy little way to use map to do that. And Again, check out the video for, for more detail on that. And he also talks about uh, Swift UI and Combine in the uh, in this in this particular talk. So it's it's really interesting to sort of see how he interprets what's happening in Swift UI and the Swift that is underlying it. Um, again, he also talks about that that home view uh, UI home view that I was talking about host, earlier. Host huh? Host hosting. Yeah, I see that again. UI hosting controller. Um, yeah, he talks about that as well in. in uh, explains that as well in here in part of his talk. So that's that's a cool talk. I recommend that one highly. So yeah, I wanted to talk about some of the uh, changes that happened in Swift uh, recently. Um, our friend, the bindable object, is no more. I don't know if you guys have heard that. Have you heard that? Wait, bindable objects no bindable more. Bindable object is gone, lost, and gone forever. Oh my darling Clementine, let me just get back to. So, so I'm sure it has been replaced by something. It has. The, yes, the I, function I'm just behind scrolling it back yeah. here to find it where it's. Uh, yes, yeah, so it has been replaced by observable objects. Um, and binding object binding has been changed into observable object as well. And so this is this is related to coming out of combine or combine uh, rather than just native Swift UI, right? So I'm reading from uh, Rene um, Rene Cachot uh, on on our Wonderlic thing. He also tweeted out about the changes here too. That um, I think um, did change has changed into will change as well. So this is sort of a if you've been following along with the tutorials and stuff like that over the last couple of uh, weeks or so. Um, you'll have to find you'll change your things uh, a bit more going forward. Yeah, so so many people are yeah some some like I said online tutorials are going to have to change um, that. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it is definitely oh, sorry. will uh, change is becoming object will change. That's what it is. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say this. This definitely seems like Swift UI 2019 is definitely uh, Swift 20. 
2014, isn't it? Where there's rapid and wild changes during the summer. Is that sort of the, the TLDR of Yeah, of this, well, uh, it's still technically in beta, right? So... Right. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not complaining about it so much as making a, a, a comparison because I admittedly have not gotten uh, gotten back into Swift UI and, and haven't spent time on it. But maybe I'll just wait till the dust settles in September and say, all right, let me uh, hopefully the, the Ray Winderlich book will be done there, too. So I just crack that book open yeah. and say, all right, yeah. now that it's settled for, you know, six months, sure. let me let me see what's going on here. Sure. By the way. So, uh, yeah, it's true. I, I did get a, I got a Swift UI book from um, from uh, hacking with Swift. Uh, two straws, Paul Hudson. So I'll have to have to see if there's an update for that. Lots of little changes here as we go, right? It's a moving target, like it was in 2014. Was it 2014 that changes happened in the 1.0? I think 2014 was when Swift came out, so it would go from zero, zero point mm. one or something to 1.0. Yeah, and then 1.5 came out, I think, before the end of the year as well, right? Or sometime early in the new year. Then we- yeah, so I kind of wonder if Swift UI will do the the same thing. Mm-hmm. Remains to be seen. Yeah. This comes via our friend Marin Torov, who's been a co-host on the show, and uh, uh, it's funny that 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 he would post this. But uh, he's found uh, a link. He's linked, sent a link here from the Swift UI Lab, um, talking about advanced UI. Sorry, advanced Swift UI transitions, and so it shows like you know buttons fading in and out, and and the code behind that. Um, more uh, uh, interesting things like uh, like buttons shrinking away, buttons moving across the screen, um, as well as you know iris opening up images and that kind of stuff so it's it's really interesting uh stuff like you know uh, um a view coming sliding in like like the scroller in star wars kind of effect uh um pictures you know transitioning from one image to another using you know different effects like similar to um the old uh powerpointy kind of things you know with with uh, like like opening up and closing like venetian blinds or or those old billboards so yeah if you're interested in of course you are interested in swift ui why would you get this far into the podcast without knowing about it um and uh, yeah check out these uh, different effects and this i'll have a link in the show notes for this one nothing crickets i think well i haven't <laughs> so the reason i couldn't participate too much in oh, the yes. earlier xcode yes. 11 um discussion is i haven't really focused on ios development that much for the past mm-hmm. month or so uh with the job change that we've we've mentioned so uh, developer advocate now, which means I, I sort of polyglot when it comes to you know, all sorts of different languages and stuff that I'll have to uh, to deal with and, and be at least you know vaguely familiar with. Um, so I haven't really messed a whole lot with uh, Xcode 11 recently. Um, uh, Swift UI is definitely top of mind of like wow, I definitely need to get with that and and combine, sit down and and really hammer out through some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But I do think um, it's sort of a, a meta thing that for folks were kind of wondering like how can i you know jump on this this train right so the ios business has been going on for more than 10 years now and Mm -hmm. i've definitely heard from a lot of uh, newer folks and newer to software development folks that they're they're pretty intimidated and i think you know what this is actually a really a really good time because i think very similar to the way that um, swift sort of brought some new blood and brought us uh, a whole bunch of folks that are are now people i could probably name and i won't just to not call them out because it, it seems a little weird. Um, but there are definitely people that you say, wow, I know who those people are and I can name them because 
in my opinion, because Swift existed as of 2014, right? Right. Like, otherwise, right. if it was just, you know, still Objective-C, you'd, you'd sort of still have the old guard of folks and it'd be crowding out, you know, um, any sort of new ideas, new discussion. I think Swift UI has a real good chance of, and, and combined, has a really good chance of doing the same. So if you're out there wondering, like, how can I, newbie, do conference talks? How can I do blog posts and podcasts and uh, YouTube videos and stuff like I think this is a pretty good opportunity because everybody um, out there is a super newbie when it comes to Swift UI. Even the people who have mm-hmm. like written books and done other things, like there are some people who are very good at, at picking up technology. They pick it up really quickly, but unless you're getting something from like the handful of people who actually developed this at Apple, everybody is, you know, pretty much on the same level playing field. So kind of going in the same drum beat about Hacktoberfest. If, uh, if you wanted to start doing even just experimental stuff uh, in your own repositories, working with a friend or something, doing Swift UI stuff, combined stuff. I think paying attention to this and doing that will give you an opportunity to sort of get your face out there and, and get known. And I'm really excited to see that there will be some new faces of like, oh yeah, like I had never heard of this person before. And now like they are the rock star. Like look at this person who's done all this cool stuff with Swift UI. Looking forward to that. Only vaguely related to this article other than like, oh, that looks really cool. I didn't know you could do that, which is like three lines of code. By the way, there is one more thing. I forgot about this, but I just uh, found the link to it. Let me grab it. URL. This is um, different than anything we talked about today. Hang on. Here it comes. In the spirit of uh, Greg Hio shadow picks. Yeah. Getting a live link here. So I read this one, uh, this article yesterday or the day before. Um, Yeah, it must have been the day before. uh, Called Transforming Operators in Swift Combine Framework. Map versus flat map versus switches to lot latest. Uh, Just thought it was interesting. Some of the things you can do. uh, And this talks about, it may have been pointed out to me by Marin. I'll, I'll give him credit for this one again um, about the difference with uh, in combine as I understand it um, you are working with publishers as opposed to just straightforward objects right so um, you can transform publishers using flat map you can't do it with map uh, if I, as I read this right um, so you can you can convert things uh, in combine it's just an interesting thing it's a short read I don't know if you guys have had a chance to scan it real quick I'll wait oh I see I'm not super familiar with Combine, but just knowing what little I do of you know of map and uh, mm-hmm. saying flat map, it, it seems quite appropriate. And uh, switch to latest is actually pretty well named because I kind of guessed what it was going to be based on the name. And in browsing this, it looks like it does kind of what you would you would expect based on the name. This is interesting. So yeah, so it, it, it tell me if I'm wrong here, Tim, but it looks like they're talking about how uh, with map you can just sort of nicely perform operations on on everything that yeah, comes each through. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, flat yeah. map kind of like uh, like. Like, like true map, as I like to say, true compact map um, is the one that says, is this nil? All right, whatever, just move on with your life. You know, mm-hmm. I'll just skip that particular one. And uh, switch to latest will give you the um, latest and greatest thing, like an example of the latest and greatest network request response, even if things came out of order. Does that sound right? I briefly, yeah, I mean, well, it's here that, that um, the flat map um, can tr- transforms publishers into a brand new, a completely new publisher. Um, which you could then subscribe to, I suppose. What do you think, Mark? So yeah, so flat, so so map just um, operates on something like each it, member it of an array runs to a map, right? Sorry, yeah, it just applies to each element of, of an array exactly. But flat map uh, lets you pull out if, if you have a hierarchical structure, mm-hmm. it, you can pull stuff out in, into a single level thing. So say you have uh, just a general flat map would be say you had say you mapped over a set of tuples, right, and you want to convert that into just a single list. 
list. Right. Uh, where each one is on its own level. Uh, sorry, each one is on the same level instead of being hierarchical inside the tuples. That's what flat map does. That's different than compact map, which was oh. the, the mills. That's why they split. Remember, compact map used to be flat map. Right. And yeah. then they split them out. So, okay, so now for the particular case here of using it for a publisher, I have to see exactly why they're doing this. So, so you reach into the inner publisher to get its elements, is what it's saying. All right, well, we can leave this for the viewers to paw it. <laughs> the danger of the shadow picks. I was completely completely wrong and unprepared to uh, to give advice. This is why... Uh, yeah, no, I just thought it was interesting. I'm not a lawyer, interesting little I'm not article a here. Just, uh, another way of looking at, uh, at, at... You know, as all this stuff happens, and you were just mentioning before that none of us are experts at this stuff because it's all pretty pretty new. So just, uh, just uh, it caught my eye. I read it through it, read through it. it made sense yesterday, but now I'm too tired to think about it. So here's another quick hit. This is from uh, John Sundahl posted posted this today. Uh, I kind of wondered about this, but I hadn't hadn't really gone too deep into it. But he posted today that the uh, Swift Playgrounds update. I guess I don't know if it was updated today or whatever. But uh, if you want to get into playing with Swift UI and combine uh, the Swift Playgrounds on iPad now supports Swift 5.1, which I think shipped is 5.1 just shipped or 5.2 um, became official, right? And then uh, and then uh, yeah. iOS 13 SDK, so Swift UI and Swift combined. And he's got a, a screenshot here of a uh, playground uh, basically doing he's called it, calling it swift ui by sundell which is kind of an in joke um yeah you loaded up playground support so you can get a preview and you're actually getting you know swift ui previous so if, yeah if you don't if you have an ipad and you don't want to dive into updating catalina and that kind of stuff and you just want to play around with this stuff this is uh, this amazing stuff that's very yeah. cool i'm gonna have to play with that yeah, yeah. It means that all the other swift playground stuff has all become even more deprecated i wonder if all of the swift ui tutorials that apple has awesome. published will they all work. On, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, 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 I still have some of the original ones from when when this uh, this came out, and some of those original games are still they don't run properly because they're written in the previous version of Swift. It tells you right on right in the app when you try and run it. This is written by this previous version of Swift, unless you want to go through and refactor all the code yourself. Well, I mean, but you know, you can do that. I just I just wonder if all the if all of the uh, yeah, the the sample code graphics libraries and all that are all fully fully operational on the iPad. Yeah, I don't know. Know. But I was cleaning up my. Oh, no. yeah. oh wait, it says. There's no canvas feature in his text. Oh, really? Oh, he said somebody mentioned canvas here. Yeah, it says right there. The Swift UI support is still is super buggy, and there's no canvas feature, but it's still fun. Mm. Yeah, okay. So it's still cool, but that's less cool <laughs> than it would have been if you had the full canvas. Because right, right. that's kind of the main reason for for needing oh, is that what the, they call the, the built-in simulator kind of thing that's that's in Xcode now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Canvas. Yeah, okay. yeah. And that you could. Well, it it looks like it has the the simulator part, mm-hmm. so it'll show mm-hmm. you it'll show you the output, but you can't, I believe, you can't drag and drop things and construct your UIs graphically, visually, right, right. like you can in, in Xcode 11 on Catalina. All right, okay. Which is too bad, because that would have been cool. Yeah, so uh, another interesting thing, uh, this is uh, posted at, uh, pointed out to me by a friend on the Ray Wunderlich Slack team. Um, he posted this uh, thing, and uh, it's an app called Penbook. It's on the App Store, and they celebrated the fact that they went live on the App, on the app Store last week on the 24th, and it is a note-taking app you know, written completely in Swift UI, they say. So nice. yeah, it's a the it's called Penbook, and if you look on their site, there is Penbook for Windows. So I'm, I'm sure it's, I think it was an existing app, but they've taken it and ported it over using Pencil Kit, which we've talked about, and mm-hmm. and the iPad OS, right, and and Swift UI, and it's got that that uh, pen um, paradigm we were talking about, uh, where you get the I don't know if you've seen in you are you running uh, you're running um, iOS 13. You know when you go to the mem- memo thing and yeah. photos, whatever, you get that sort of like little pen 
kit. You can choose a color and right. style right. and marker. That's pencil kit, or mm-hmm. I believe that's pencil kit. Yeah, so there's a link here to download. I downloaded it, gave it a, gave it a try. I've got to break up, find my pencil and try it out. But I tried it with my finger, and it worked pretty well. You know, mm-hmm. if you like writing with your finger. But um, <laughs> I might have to try this one. So, is how much does this one it's cost? Or is it free? It wasn't or? very expensive. Yeah. Bucks? Yeah. Yeah. Off the top of my head, I think it was like it was less than less than five. It wasn't wasn't inexpensive, but it wasn't. Uh, or actually, there's a uh, there's a couple of links I've got here. One is to the actual site. Um, yeah, they show pictures of the, the pen kit as well. I'll open my iPad now to take a look. We'll get the official U.S. price. Yeah, but I've got a link here for Penbook. Uh, they're, they're Substack. Doc, they're talking about how Pencil Kit worked for them. Um, interesting talk about the the tool drawer, which is what that thing is called, where you choose your markers and your colors and your thickness of your line. And It looks like it's free. Is it free? Or is, or is it get? There's a get. Get? Oh, I thought it was... Yeah. It has in-app purchases, so... One is uh, called a Swift UI Kickstart. Again, coming back to the idea of Swift UI. Uh, this is written by Daniel Steinberg. Um, I stumbled across it because he, for his birthday, he was offering it at like a discounted price. So I grabbed a copy of it. I'm about, you know, two thirds, two thirds of the way through it. What I really like about Daniel Steinberg's writing style is he has a way of writing and speaking and presenting that takes a lot of the mystery out of what, what uh, Apple is doing. Um, he seems to have sort of a, a interesting um, perspective on where Apple's going with this stuff that they're doing. Um, if you've ever had a chance to see him speaking live, speak live about something, that's sort of the gist of what he talks about. Because um, he, he reasons, reasons about um, why things, the way things work and, and where he thinks that the, that they're going in the future. Um, but I, I really like his style because it, it, it very clearly explains a lot of interesting things, uh, concepts that may be a little harder to grasp at first, but uh, he kind of puts it uh, at ease. It's been a few weeks since I looked at the book, but uh, there were a couple of examples I remember that stood out and I hadn't thought about it that way and it was a really interesting read so i recommend the ui kickstart quick ui kickstart by daniel steinberg first of all scary stuff the future is scary as one of my favorite podcasts likes to say future is scary <laughs> the future is scary all right uh, speaking of scary futures um my pick here is uh, actually not that scary um i've been playing around with swift ui as i've been saying for many many months now and uh, they keep changing the language darn it um you know surprise surprise um but i found this uh, website here called swift ui cheat sheet and it's got uh, pretty much every command you might think you want to use um inside and plus uh, links to other resources. Like if you're looking to set up a text field, which is what I was trying to do, like text field obviously is, is it creates a field just like you normally would have. You can have a placeholder value. Um, but one thing that kind of caught me by surprise was, and shouldn't caught me by surprise, is you have to create a state variable first uh, for the, the text text field to um, become equivalent to and then use that as your value inside your, your field. And you can do text field or secure field, which is like a password field, um, create a text field on the screen. And I've, I've been also, in, as a side note, I've also been enjoying um, Paul Hudson's uh, hacking of Swift videos that he's been posting for the last you know couple of weeks um, on uh, on his uh, web on his YouTube channel and uh, yeah they're pretty quick uh, you know five minute long uh, example lessons on how to do various things that last this last week or last couple of days uh, he's been covering drawing on the on the in your apps uh, you know drawing uh, using arcs and uh, circles and shapes uh, and um, insettable shapes that uh, um, different protocols calls that, that work inside of SwiftUI. So that's kind of cool. So anyway, my, my pick this week for the SwiftUI fo- 
folks, is this uh, SwiftUI cheat sheet. And notice it's only been updated five months ago, so I wonder if it really is up to date. I would think that since it's a GitHub page, they would keep it up to date, right? Wouldn't you? I see commits as of October 30th. Okay, so it is updated. Okay. When I look into the, the list of commits. Yeah, I just like there's definitely the folder. Yeah. Jumps. It was like June, August, a couple times in August, and then nothing until October. So maybe somebody's tracking the releases or something. Yeah, yeah. Hey, cool. All right. Okay, so we have an article by uh, Alexander Grebenyuk about the Swift UI layout system. And I think it's really kind of a neat one to look at and, and read and, and try to understand based on the diagrams and screenshots that he's made, where he talks about how Swift UI's layout system works, especially when compared to auto layout. And it works quite differently. And he points that out, right? That auto layout, you more or less have a relationship between anything you wanted, whereas Swift UI works kind of more like the old frame based layout. Right? Like, even just this three step process of like, cool. Uh, step one, the parent proposes a size for the child. Step two, the child says, I'm going to choose my size. And then step three, the parent places the child in the parent's coordinate space. And generally with sensible defaults like centering rather than, I think, upper left that the old frame layout used to do. And there's other sort of nice things that work too, right? Like, I, I know that images, image views were always kind of a pain to work with um, in any sophisticated way in auto layout, or at least I found it kind of painful where you're sort of weird things would happen if you had a constraint set incorrectly. Whereas in this case, it's like, well, if I don't explicitly tell the layout system that I want this to be resizable, I can make the frame anything a darn well please. The actual size of the image is what will be respected. And so that's a little bit easier to sort of grok through what's going on. And then he also talks about the uh, the stacks, right? The H stack, V stack, and Z stack for horizontal, vertical, and 3D, back to front, for lack of a better word. Stacking and sort of how that system works. I think they sort of take the concept of what UI stack view did, but makes it even easier to understand because you don't have the sort of same paradigm that auto layout has and, and arguably some of the, the baggage that auto layout had as it went from like iOS, what, six onwards. Um, and also kind of towards the tail end, he talks about how uh, it's not layout specific per se, but the Swift UI can take a peek at the environment variables such as size categories. You can say, cool, um, are we in the large size category? Give it 20 points. Of padding versus you know ten points, mm. which I think is a little bit easier in some respects. But I honestly don't know without having tried this in any sort of major realistic project as to whether that's better or worse than the way size classes used to work. Like make like maybe it works really well for like tutorial stuff, and then when you're in an actual team, maybe it's an absolute nightmare. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's interesting. I've been playing playing around with uh, auto or sorry with, with the UI quite a bit, and it it does. There are some things that are a bit odd, um, some weird things to learn. Like I still haven't figured out how to get an image to fill the entire screen like it, it wants to use safe area so you get you know the the chin and the head bump at the top um i haven't quite figured out how to sort out how to get that but you know i think looking at this might make it um, more understandable i think in in the past oh there's tabs here look at this uh in the in the past you would um you know you'd get the size of the window and then you would you would basically scale your image to fit the window you know back in the frame frame days right um yeah so it's it's been a bit tricky but thing and i've got a little bit of one of my picks is going to be talking about uh a little thing I discovered in Xcode that I wasn't aware of, and most people haven't talked about yet, though, but uh, kind of handy, helpful for this this kind of stuff. Yeah, but this this is an interesting, interesting good read. Neat. Yeah, I haven't tried out your scenario, but looking at the the little note he has here about safe area. So yeah. the one thing I do like is that the safe area is what you're dealing.
dealing with by default. And then you have to go out of your way yes. to not to do the default. Yeah. Um, and it appears to me that adding a dot edges, ignoring safe area with a parameter of dot all is probably what you would want just based yeah, on the name. Sounds but like I haven't we, tried that. We had a, we had a, when we went from system, or system six, when we went from iOS six to iOS seven, you remember they had that, that um, edge inset or edge offset or something like that, um, that we had to override or turn off when you were, if we were laying up for both OSs or iOSs. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think it's something related to that, right? Like it's honoring that, that space that's, you know, arbitrarily set there. Like in the, in the diagram here, the first diagram where he's got the hello world um, label in the middle of, and he's got the yellow boxes or frames to sort of show how the centering works. You see what I mean about like the, the line across the bottom, which is where the, the home area is. And then you've got the notch area at the top. But mm-hmm. I've been able to get the image to fill that entire rectangle, but not extend into the upper or lower parts, right? Yeah. Even trying this edges, ignoring safe area? I haven't tried that yet. No, no. I just, it's, uh, yeah. and, and that'll, that'll be interesting. And I'm kind of curious to, we'll, we'll get, when we get to my pick, you'll see it. I mean, I'm kind of curious if that's, if that's an option that, that I maybe missed or hadn't seen or didn't understand. But yeah, cool. I have to pick this one for a drive. So what I was going to sh- show you was, was I've been using, ex- uh, I've been closing this, this last pane over here. Um, when I've been working in Catalina and I've been working on, you know, various things. And so let me just move this over a bit. And you can see that, um, if I, it's funny because it is a bit buggy in terms of how this, this, uh, live preview thing works. Um, but what I discovered was really cool. And, um, and that is this, because you know how you can, you can design in the, um, in the live preview as well. Waiting for it to render here. All right. Yeah. So, so this is, this is sort of the login screen I was working on. And you see how the, the, I've got the box here at the top and bottom. So anyway, what I was, I was playing around with, with these, this things like the, 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 um, this username field and password field here. So, but what I discovered is like, if I click on the text field here, um, it's high, it's, it becomes highlighted and I'm working on it. If I click on the password field, which is a secure field here, um, you know, or if we click on the button so on and so forth. So I've been working away on this, trying to figure out all these different property, um, modifiers, right? So like, you know, you get your text field here. Um, you know, like for, for, if I want to have a text field, you have to have a state. So I have to create a state variable at the top here. And then, um, you know, I want to have padding or background color or whatever I want to have in here. So I've been working with this and trying to like, you know, look it up on the documentation and stuff like that. But what I discovered is if you open this last pane over here, which nobody talks about, and then I click on a text field, um, I get these property things, almost like um, like the, the uh, it's the same um, uh, screen that you have in uh, Attributes Inspector from Interface Builder. And you can go in here now. And so like, for instance, I can go and I can say, well, I don't want the background to be white. I want the background to be red. And it will change the, the background of this. It'll take a minute to render. There you go. See that? And if I and I can change it to whatever color I want. So if I want white, um, I can play with the corner radius by changing the number in this here to 10 or something like outrageous. Oops. And wait a second for it to render. So it's handy to, to be able to use these these things, and what it does, it actually changes the code here in in the, the code view as well, right? So it's kind of handy, like a visual editor to kind of see what's going on. Like I can see what my my state variable is here, right? I can see the the, the placeholder text that's in the text field. So it was handy when I was trying to figure out how to you know to lay this stuff out. Once I stumbled across this view, I could see what um what you know options I had available for like if I'm working on a button or something like that. That's my pick this week is is to talk about how um you can go in and play around with these things, and if I want to add a new modifier. This is what I was talking about with the edges before. Let's say if I want to click on that image 
So I'm not, I've not got the image highlighted. This little add modifier thing at the bottom, if I can get it to pop up. Come on, baby. There you go. Yeah, it really pays to have a 16 gig or MacBook 16 with uh, lots of memory. So you see this big long scrolling thing here. These are all the attributes that you can apply to this particular item, like this image here, right? So let's see, what were we talking about? Edges or something? Edges ignoring safe area. There it is. This guy right here, right? Yep. If I choose that, and what was the property? All, right? All. Yeah, so I see how that's not, and maybe you have to get rid of this aspect ratio, right? Comment that out. Let's look at your, uh, yeah, there it look is. at that. Yep. Wow, that was easy. So now, for those of you on the phone, driving at home, my uh, the image now has has fit the uh, entire screen, the entire, entire window. Let me just shrink this down a bit. There you go. So you can see it's fit the whole window, right? So it's cool. Like, I mean, um, I had, like, I, I I don't think I've ever, maybe I should probably go back and watch one of the WWDC videos, but I don't think I've ever worked in, in the, you know, six months I've been working with, or five months that I've been working with, with SwiftUI. I've never had this this last pane open hmm. until the other day when I just, and I just stumbled across it when I was working on this stuff, right? There you go. Yeah, it's nice. actually kind of new to me, and I probably should rewatch some of those sessions, because maybe they briefly showed it, but it, it wasn't front and center, and I, I do like the fact that this goes a long way towards something I'd said before, which is that the whole canvas thing and the way it works with the texts in live updating, it, it just seems like it really fully realizes what, what storyboards and interface builder in particular were trying to do. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping that they'll have a storyboard equivalent for this to do more flows rather than the sort of the nib-based sort of look and feel that they have here. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you can see what I was, what I was trying to do. I was trying to replicate our login screen um, using SwiftUI. And yes, and again, it's like, you know, it's amazing that you can do it in this much code, right? You know, these few lines. Yeah, I think the underrated thing from this uh, this little inspector panel that um, you've shown me and Mark is that it, it actually makes it kind of discoverable in a way that maybe the docs would make yeah, super exactly. obvious. Like, what does this thing do? I don't know. Let me try it and see if it does anything. Yeah, and like, so, so you know, I've been I've been struggling. I mean, I've been playing around with, you know, trying to get, like, you know, trying to make the buttons fit the, the view in a pleasing way, you know, because if you, if you don't have any padding on these, these uh, text fields, they go edge to edge, right? And depending on what, what uh, like if the image behind it was set to, uh, I think it was fill, um, they would extend off the screen and it, it makes no sense, right? You know, you look at it and even, even as a non-designer, you would go, well, what the, is that doing, right? And how do I make the button the same width as a text field? Because it's a different kind of object, right? And, and I'm sure if you look at it, it's not pixel perfect anyway. It looks to me, it looks like off by a nudge, right? Oh, um, but yeah, probably, with this... Because you have both the image and the, the V stack inside a Z stack, so the Z, so the well, Z stack is being sized by the resizable yeah. of the image, so, and the, so the V stack goes to the edge of the Z stack. Yeah. So yeah, and using that parent child model that, that Jaime was just talking about, exactly right. like like right. in order to get the image to sit, in order to get these text fields to sit on top of the image, I had to put it in a, in a Z stack, which is the three dimensional front to back thing that Jaime was talking about, or right. alignment, I guess we'd call it back in the day, right? Um, so yeah, in order. So I had to put the. I, I, I don't think it matters. If I put the image before or after, but because it's it's in the same stack as at the same level as the V stack, right? So the text fields are contained in in here as well, right? Like you see, I don't know if you can see the blue line that's around here now that I've got that selected. Yep. Yeah. So which is handy, right? Um. But yeah, so you can see that that all of this. I wonder if it's collapsible. Oh, it is collapsible. Look at that. You can even collapse it like uh, in like you do in in regular code. Well, it makes, makes sense because it's Xcode. Duh. But yeah. So like yeah, you can see that the Z stack and the V stack are at the same level. That was my that was what I discovered just through poking around with things that I could get, you know, lay it to work the way, work the way I wanted it to. That's cool. Problem solved. <laughs> it, it is a, a brave new world, and I, I do hope that there are some significant V2 changes for SwiftUI in mm-hmm. 2020. Yeah. Um, but it 
is pretty neat to see where they're they're going with this and i'm I'm pretty excited about it. it sounds weird to say but i'm kind of excited to relearn how ui stuff works on ios yeah yeah but even i just clicked on the v stack here even, even it has the ability to have modifiers but what's weird about this add modifier thing is is it seems to be that everything's available on on each object right you know, it comes up here like even if it's not reasonable it's not filtering it down yeah, in any way see. like i would i would expect yeah so yeah every corner radius like why would i have a corner radius on a v stack right yeah i th- i forget how v stack works but that might actually apply to everything that's within it oh you think? I think v stack well, as but, this guy talked about in the article would add but, the, but you wouldn't have something well stop scrolling so fast Tim. <laughs> you sorry. wouldn't have uh auto capitalization for example set on a v stack why not that's in your list i mean maybe we want to auto capitalize the secure field that he has here in his example you know yeah make it so you could never type in the right password because it auto capitalizes what you're typing yeah. i don't know you're right yeah, I, i'm being facetious here i don't i don't know that some of these make a whole lot of sense without understanding sort of the the, the order of operations that swift ui yeah. interprets these things yeah all right you, would, you wouldn't have a navigation bar title on your on your v stack right yeah yeah, <laughs> true, yeah. true. <laughs> but it is handy to have like just about everything it would it would be it would be better if it was more contextual for sure right right but but it, yeah scale the fit scale the fit like these these are things that like as a designer who hasn't worked in you know swift or even objective c for the last you know 10 years they wouldn't know what they'd kind of go well what does this one do what does this one do you know but this they, they don't have to know the code to do this like you and you and i both know it's aspect rate what is that aspect? It's out here somewhere right? well, i commented it out right um like they wouldn't necessarily need to know specifically what this is i haven't figured out how to kind of do colors yet because you know color you can do with rgb color and stuff like that um i do have an example of it here yeah like here's here, here's a color with red right down here yeah so, so, uh, so but, what 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 don't you know how to do so well I, I know how to do it but i don't know how to do it in this this picker mode right oh, 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 oh. yeah so you have background oh. i've got custom but like yeah like like yeah so you, you and i both know like i'm just playing around the, the, the different values here to try and get this, this green button to be the green i want right, right. i could go look it up and, and it's it's the same thing it's just, instead of but you know it'd be nice like, to have the color wheel there that you could click on or something like that yeah like yeah. we have an interest bill and then have yeah. you know previously used colors like little swatches and stuff like that but yeah. right yeah so it's kind of cool i mean it's it sort of takes away a lot of the the mystery like you know because in the demos they did at the wwc you know they were they were going in here they were going into this little attribute uh, object library here and they were just dragging you know edit button no i want an edit button here and just drag it in and drop it into the stack right right and then it just adds the code there's the edit button right there right you know and so you can barely see it here but if i you know now i can go in with my put my cursor here and then go and add a modifier to it right and then just find one that makes sense like let's see oh like i even saw dark mode in here too like there's a dark mode stuff yeah but you can sort of play you know button style for instance or was it a button i put in yeah the button i can come in and change the, the the default button style or something else right so it's cool you can change the text you know but that's an example of of how how easy it is to come and try and find something here right like this would be yeah maybe that's neat my pick this week is a Swift UI Views book, and it's sort of similar to the pick that Jaime had a couple of weeks ago, I think. What was that link to? It was a, a, talking about a parent and child and different kind of things like that. So this this book, uh, this is a sample book that I, that I picked up. Um, There's a, a full book you can buy, but the sample book was pretty pretty complete too, and um, uh, it's written by these people over at Big Mountain Studios, and uh, covers basic concepts in Swift UI, but also things like views and modifiers, talks about, you know, um, 
relationships, parent-child, which we talked about before, where you have the parent view and the child view, and they're contained. It's sort of like frame and bounds in a sense, I guess. Um, but it goes through you know, a couple of different things, V-stacks, H-stacks, you know, um, Z-stacks as well, um, date pickers, forms, lists, you know, navigation views, you know, text fields, toggles, um, and kind of run... So you, you get 186 pages for free to begin with, um, but, then, but then you can buy the full full book, and I'm assuming that the book is going to be updated as we go because things have changed a bit in, um, in the last little while. But yeah, so if you're if you're sort of a more l- visual learner, um, it's got like a, a each page has like a, a view, like in in an app, and uh, gives you the code for how they how they got to there. So if you're that kind of learner where you need to see visually what you're doing as well as having the, the code to copy or emulate, um, this will walk you through how to do a whole bunch of different things in SwiftUI. This is a little quickly move, quick moving slideshow on the um, on the site here, but yeah, I just thought it was really kind of cool. Um, the book claims to have over 350 uh, screenshots, so this is like you're almost getting half the book for free to have a look through. How much is the book? Let's have a look. I wonder if it's on sale for Black Black Friday. Well, you've, you've linked the free book, right? But then there's yeah. the full book at the top navigation. I know. I clicked on the link. I'm just I'm scrolling through the thing looking for a price. Where's the buy now? How much money would you pay now? <laughs> it's sort of weird. So I don't know where it is normally, but if you scroll down a little bit, you'll see the header float in. Oh, it's geez. like a, like a brown oh. header. And you can buy for $59 US or three think- easy payments of $22. Now, when you think he'd have a Black Friday sale? Jeez. And he's got his Twitter. If you go to uh, Big Mountain Studio, he's got his Twitter account like right there. I think he'd tweet at him. He's like, bro, give yeah. me those those fat discounts. <laughs> Wait, <we don't> <laughs> now, how much would you pay? A lot less because it's Black Friday, bro. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, it's by Mark Moykens. Moy- Moy- is the name of the gentleman who wrote the book. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, I, I just I saw it. Look, looked interesting. Thumbed through it a bit. If you can thumb through books on iBooks, I don't know. I bought it as an EPUB. Um, yeah, and that's uh, that's cool. I thought I saw it on, on the Apple um, iBook store, but apparently, no, it's, it's sold as an EPUB, and I dragged it into into my iBook, which is why it's only on one computer and not all of them. There you go. That's my pick for today. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool that this sort of material exists. So, so Mark had mentioned the Paul Hudson material before that was on the yes. Black Friday sale. Um, yep. I definitely do think when you have something that is fast-moving, like Swift UI is, I definitely appreciate the eBooks because they tend mm-hmm. to get updated pretty pretty regularly with those. It probably would be a disaster if you had a, a actual paper book of some sort with this sort of thing, even though that is my personal preference for reading where, where possible. Cool. Yeah. Oh, Black Friday, 50% off everything. Let's click on this. Coupon code coming soon. So we'll have to watch his space for, for the code. Wait, that wasn't the code itself? Like, I'd interpreted it ambiguously based like on coming the Coming soon is the code? <laughs> yeah, because it, <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, but I actually looked at the main page and there is stuff that is coming soon, like the Swift UI animations uh, book he's got, right? Or that is coming soon. So I thought maybe that was the uh, the code. So we have some follow-up. We have one follow-up item, it looks like, from last week. Um, and Well, this is from the last couple of shows, I should say. Um, and this has to do with our, our sort of search for the perfect Swift UI examples. And uh, I think it's growing more and more. I've been doing a lot, as you know, I've been doing a lot of Swift UI. Those are people who have been listening to the show. Um, headline is, Seven Awesome Swift Open Source Swift UI Projects to Inspire You. And uh, I didn't, at the end, I didn't make the mental connection these were actually open source. I thought they were actually apps on the App Store. But, like, there's one here called Swift uh, Movies. Swift UI, which is like a movie trailer kind of, you know, top rated kind of top iTunes top thing. Uh, there's a Reddit client. There's a recipes app, which uh, this is an interesting one because it uses a single state controller to manage all the different views in the app. Um, there's a, there's a uh, extension to the standard Swift UI library. 
and uh, there's a to-do app, which is pretty pretty basic, pretty simple. But what's cool about these is all of these are, are on on GitHub, and you can download the source code, and you can sort of paw through how they're they're made. And some of them are quite like the first one, the movie one. I looked at the code earlier today. It's quite extensive in terms of how it's you know split out and. You know, because everybody's sort of saying that, that Swift UI is kind of a toy right now, right? Um, but it seems to have quite a bit of quite a bit of flexibility, and especially when you when you start, you know, getting a bit more abstracted with it. You know, the Fourier um, series visualizer is so pretty. I was gonna say that's my favorite one by a long shot. Which one is this? Number seven. Oh, the Number Fourier seven. one. Yeah, I Number missed seven. that. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't scroll far enough. That's just like that's like math porn. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Okay, yeah, so, I really yeah, like so, the uh, the animation with the unit circle there on the side. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so you now you have to explain this to me because I don't. I don't get it. So the Fourier is the little circly things, the, the geometry there, and then so Fourier like a series is um, uh, series. So it's a sum, and it's the it's it's the sum of sine waves of different frequencies. And the idea is that if you make an infinite sum of uh, different frequency waves, you can build any shape you want. So you can re- regard shapes that don't look like they have any periodicity or any smoothness to them as actually what you get when you add up um, a lot of waves of different frequencies. And uh, T- technically, what you described as a, a Fourier transform, uh, if it would. To, to take any arbitrary signal, so, but to make a Fourier right, series, yeah. it does have to be a, a periodic signal. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah so this yeah. is like, 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 to me, this is like, I go back to my synthesizer days, this is the different waveform types for, for creating synthesis, right? Of sound? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, and I, I just I hadn't looked at the, uh, the first time I looked at this page, it was like a week ago, and I'm looking at it again now, and it's demonstrating different sawtooth and square wave, and I would assume a sine wave would be really boring if they haven't got it here. No, a sine wave wouldn't, wouldn't be boring, actually. I mean, Actually, what what he is showing is is uh, resolving this in terms of of sine waves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, every, every okay. circle there is a sine wave of a particular yes. frequency. So you oh, okay. uh, and so having the circles all hinging on each other like this is basically a way of adding up all the sine waves. I think I got that right, but you can tell, tell me if, yeah. I, if I'm yeah. No, that's exactly right. So so you you add them up with a different uh, factor in front, an amplitude in front, and that's how you create all the different the different ones. So if you have something where the largest amplitude is at the lowest frequency, like this one, which is represented by the the biggest circle going around most slowly, then you get something that approximates the uh, a curve with that frequency. So the 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 pulses in the in the picture are the the you know the kind of the gross large pulses are at the frequency of that first circle. But then all the refinements come in by adding smaller sine waves of higher frequency, hmm. and so you can see the circles are getting smaller as as uh, as the frequency goes up. If you look at the picture on the left, sure, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yes, and of course you can download that code and have a look at it too, which I didn't do. Yeah. So <laughs> there is also a, a watch app here. I should mention about the SwiftUI example. So yeah, it's kind of a cool little page here. Seven seven examples for you to sort of uh, download and go crazy with, I guess. These are impressive. These yeah. are these are you know substantial looking pieces of work. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Like no no fooling around here. Seriously. Yeah. I'd be interested to see what the um, kind of persistence and data management and network synchronization story is with these, because that's the kind of non UI bit. And how is that a little bit different? to fit into the new UI. And then also to-do app is such a uh, classic proving ground for different kinds of mm-hmm. architectures. It would be interesting. You could write an article just looking at this to-do app and Swift UI side by side, you know, with um, something done with a uh, straight up MVC. So Tim, I haven't, I haven't looked at any of the code, but are, are these fully functional apps or are they just kind of the UI part of it as an example? No, no, they're, they're quite, quite they're fully, uh, fully extensive. Functional. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what I was saying though, is when you, when you start digging through them, it's not like, you know, there's, 
isn't like one single view in most of these apps. It's like mm-hmm. it's it's broken down into you know uh, different classes and different you know m- uh, modes and like how you would break out a complicated app to sort yeah. of manage it really. You know? yeah. Yeah. Different folders and groups and things like that, things like models and views and things like that. So there's a lot of structure to them, and I mean they're not simple. There's they're they're quite extensive in terms of the number of uh, classes and files in them, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, I was surprised by that actually when I looked at it. You know, cause yeah, I, cool. Again, like I've been playing around with with SwiftUI. I haven't really got into building a, a single app yet, but uh, you know I've, I've done things like the login view controller and stuff like that. Yep. Just to try and do that, you know, because I'm still playing around with the layout. Yeah, I've been playing around with uh, embedding a collection view using the UI view representable mm-hmm. uh, into SwiftUI. It's kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, because there still isn't any support for because there is no views. actual collection view. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you remember when collection views came first came out. I was at WWDC when when the, it was two French dudes um, who were were hired by Apple at that point in time who came up with the idea, and it was it was very like you know held together with bailing bailing wire and and gaffer tape and stuff like that. Like it was a very strange uh, a way of doing it. It was kind of like they came up with this idea. Apple really liked it, hired them, you know, rolled it into the OS, and and uh, it's it's kind of evolved over the years, but it, but it hasn't. You know, it's like a um, it's not as well developed as it's not as easy to use as a table view was, right? Like table views were like from the get go were pretty simple to use, right? You threw some data at a thing and you got some table cells, right? Yeah. Well, and, you know, uh, if you if you use like the flow the built in flow layout to do a grid, yeah, that's it's, it's pretty easy to one, use. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but using you're right, using a uh, a custom layout is is a little bit a uh, little bit more complicated and has a kind of different way of thinking about things a little bit. Yeah, yeah. the flow layout gives you something like like if you look at the photo app where you've got the tiles, you know, right. tiled images or, or like yep. a Pinterest layout kind of thing. That's pretty simple to do in, in that kind of um, way, but. It's surprised Apple hasn't rolled out more canned layouts because there is so much potential in the way the architecture of Collection View was built. You know, yeah. you could have a. Like people have a CSS gallery, you could have like a layout gallery. I'm sure there's some demo projects like that, but yeah. as you point out, it's a little better hidden than, or I don't know, it's a little less widely known than, than you think it might be. People are usually just subclassing and modifying one of the like two or three the main layout, layouts yeah. rather than doing it from scratch. Yeah, but it is super powerful if you if you actually get down under the under the hood. I think a challenge for them is that you know SwiftUI, if you read between the lines, it's doing a lot of the stuff that we've been banging our heads against the wall for the last four years. You know, like with auto layout and size classes and all that kind of stuff. They've now sort of made it, you know, you just declare what you want and it magically fits to whatever device you're looking at it on, which is, you know, we were struggling with that for many, many years, right? Almost yeah, 10 I, years of you. I, I, I still think it, it's it's great for simple layouts, but if you start doing real complicated stuff, it gets kind of kind of gnarly. We don't have that much yeah, experience yeah. with it yet, so I, I can't say for sure. Maybe it does get easier as you get, you know, get used to it and wrap your brain around how it actually works, but... Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, this is where you say that your mileage may vary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But right. uh, Alexis, go back to your point of being surprised why Apple hasn't released more stuff. I, it, it makes me wonder about the question I've been asking for at least six months: is you know wh- wh- why are they still doing stuff with Collection View if SwiftUI is the future, right? And at, at mm. this year's WWC, they had it was weird. They had the whole SwiftUI track. And then they had a couple of really nice talks about Collection View that were real nice improvements, like this kind of updating data source, you know, almost like, you know, using the PubSub type of approach to, to handling uh, Collection Views, using Combine and all that. And, and it, I'm just like, well, which is it? You know, which way are we going? 
is it worth investing time in collection views? Are they going to be around in a year? I, I, who knows? Well, they were using Combine everywhere too, right? Like they yeah. were putting, they were using Combine in these collection view kind of stuff as well, right? Right, right. And they had like, because they had, I went to one Combine talk and it was kind of like, oh, here are the really, you know, here are the really gnarly ways of dealing dealing with Combine. And then just use Swift UI and it becomes simple. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I don't, I don't think they know either, to be honest. You know, I mean, yeah. it's, a big, it's a big company. You're going to have people who are excited to work on the new thing and are very optimistic about it and are pushing it forward. And you're going to have other people who are uh, refining and extending something that works quite well and is relied on, you know, across hundreds of millions of devices every day and see that as a sensible use of time, too. And we don't really know what the future is going to hold. You know, if if, if SwiftUI turns out to uh, obviously and clearly be a better and more productive way to produce really polished results, then I'm sure they'll start to put more resource and time behind that. And that will be how they build new things when there's an option to do it. But we'll see. We'll see. It'll be interesting to see. I I still wonder if the if the collection view team that was building all that stuff even knew that Swift UI existed until WWDC <laughs> and were they as surprised by, as the rest of us? Some some of the Apple people I talked to said they don't hear about things until they actually go to WWDC. Yeah, right? yeah you hear that the a lot. Well, famously yeah. that was the case with Swift itself. With Swift so itself, right. Many, many yeah. people who you know were surprised by it uh, within the organization. Well, that said, the I just saw a tweet today, the, the team, uh, the Swift UI team is hiring Swift UI framework engineers, so if, if you're interested <laughs> Maybe you can tag along. I'll post a link in the show notes. Definitely an exciting right. time for that kind yeah. of work. Yeah. yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, so a couple of things here. Uh, a friend of mine posted a, a, a link to this article on um, on LinkedIn uh, talking about, said that the title is Why I Quit Using Observable Object in Swift UI and talks about building really complicated, or when you get into really complicated apps, uh, he, find, he found that the performance was lacking. So I know, Mark, you were saying you read this one. Yeah, right? I did. And, and you're exactly right. It, he is talking about, so the base, basically the issue is is when you use observable object or any of the bindings in Swift UI, really what makes them nice but in his case is a disadvantage is that uh, it will every time you make an, any kind of update uh, it will it will render re-render everything that's that's kind of how it's supposed to work but uh, if you have thousands and thousands of views which is what he says uh, he has in his app uh, then he starts seeing a performance hit and so he came up with some solutions on on other techniques you can use he tried to first tried to explore uh, filtering out certain changes and don't so don't update on every change just only change on certain changes and try to try to cut down the thing and and he comes up with some techni- techniques to do it and you know basically you read the article but basically he, he decides they're kind of complicated and barely worth it so he doesn't want to use the scheme at all but but it, it but it really is as far as I can tell a function of the fact that he's using lots and lots and lots of views more than most people are going to use I think it's pretty rare that you have thousands of views in, in this kind of app uh, and let's be honest it's still version one so there's plenty of room for Apple to improve things so some of these issues might just go away in the next version. Yeah, so he does talk about a couple of things, but he talks, one thing he talks about the end here is uh, using a publisher instead of an observable object, which I think Apple did demonstrate that technique at some of the more advanced talks at WWDC this year, but yeah. more, more respect to Combine than, than SwiftUI per se. Right, right? So, so SwiftUI is built on top of Combine, of course. It uses Combine, but it makes its own version of the uh, of the of the publishers and the and the uh, subscribers through the app state and app binding and 
and then the ad-observable object. So, yeah, if you go underneath the hood and don't use the you know SwiftUI convenience methods uh, and use straight combine, then sure, you can spin your own, write your own, and, and probably solve any issue that you that you might have. Yeah, and in the middle is a, the funny part is a friend of mine's big up, big up all this uh, yo dog guy. He had to explain to him who, who he was a few months ago. But there's a yo dog. Yo dog. We heard you like SwiftUI, so we put an observable object inside an observable object. That's another method that they use there. Yeah, that would be exhibit. So that so that guy is exhibit a rapper who the reason that internet meme even came about the yo dog i heard you like x so we put x in your x so you can x while you're xing right right um uh, that is from uh pimp my ride from mtv or vh1 okay. kind of uh, which where they oh, yeah, would yeah. do crazy things like you know you'd have some beat up car somebody would bring in and they'd you know they'd pimp put it a hot up tub they'd, in they'd, it and stuff like that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it's like oh i heard you like playing you know video games we have like this video game that has like another monitor attached to it you can play a video game while you're playing a video game uh-huh. right. stuff. play a video game in your video game yo dog yeah yeah there's probably a better example than that but uh, i haven't seen that show in a long time and so. you can do that while driving at home if you want to <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And then uh, the last one, of course, is we talked about this one before. So I've got the safe for work version of it. Um, this is Gosh Darn Swift UI. And I guess the folks over at Gosh Darn, I'm not sure if it's the same bunch of people who do the other Gosh Darn Swift and Gosh Darn uh, Objective-C, but um, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. Uh, Soren, unpronounceable last name, um, basically put this uh, list together. Uh, this is uh, sort of some of the things that you can do in Swift UI. Similar idea, I guess, to your, your uh, cheat sheet there. But all the sort of how you would convert from, say, UI it to Swift UI, um, you know what what the equivalents are, and I think this is a, a, a live document, so because I think it's grown over time that I've since I first looked at it, um, and so it shows you how to you know how to control the the look and feel of things in Swift UI, text fields, secure fields, images, nav stacks, date pickers, you know, uh, steppers, V stacks, Z stacks, or Z stacks if you're in Canada, uh, lists, you know, things like that, scroll views, and on and on. It's good that it's kept up to date because it was a wild season from launch at WWDC to actual 1.0 of uh, Swift UI come September. So a lot of those changes were, were pretty drastic for naming and how things worked out. So pretty nice to see somebody have it all sort of collated here. Yeah, some advanced things like how to how to bring a Facebook or first right how to bring a framework into into uh, Swift UI in UI Kit. Interesting thing at the bottom there. And view, uh, UI View Controller representable. Yeah, cool stuff. I've been using a lot of UI View representable. Lately. Have you? Yeah. Purposely chose not to use the view controller representable because I wanted to get into the mode of not having any view controllers. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Kind of interesting. It's it's kind of magical the way it works. Yeah. If you think about it, there's the whole idea of Swift UI is that everything is a disposable value type immutable struct, sort of. You know, if you ignore the mutability caused by the binding variables, but forget about that. So, so so you have a so you have a, a, a struct uh, that has a sort of the equivalent of a subview that you'd like it to be a class, right? That it, that's a mutable class mm-hmm. that is a reference type that is not going to get thrown away when this thing gets refreshed, right? The struct, the, the level above gets thrown away and it creates a new one every time there's a change in the state variable, right? And it creates a new struct. But yet this class that is, quote, a subview, don't complain that I'm saying subview, I know it's not, uh, but but a, a child view, let's call it that. But right. that this thing is a class, it's a UI kit class. 
class. So how does that all work? How do you have a parent view, which is a immutable struct, have a mutable, uh, indestructible child, yeah. quote child class? So there's some there's some magic they did with this make UI view and make make update UI view and make coordinator stuff where you where where you it causes make UI view once the first time you render and that's where you can create your UI kit class and every time it refreshes Swift UI will remember where that class is and give you it in the update UI view it'll it'll call update UI view with that same object for that is mm. your view and then you can do stuff to it even though even though the parent got thrown away and all the other sibling views you know child children views all got thrown away and got regenerated the objects are gone or the structure gone this one still is able to grab your existing one and pull it in and use it and somehow it knows where that one is I mean it's the same kind of you know stuff that's going on with binding variables but it seems a little bit magical but it's cool it works hmm. and the coordinator the coordinator is this helper object that you can create and you can use that for uh, for example for uh, having a, a delegate that this thing might call out to because there are no really delegates in Swift UI it doesn't make sense you, know, you can't have a delegate back to uh, just think of the, the mechanism of uh, if you were to try to have the parent view be a, a delegate of the child view let's say well just the fact because everything's value type just by passing self into the child and assigning it to the delegate you make a new copy of the parent so that delegate would never call back to the same one that you started with it would call back to a copy of it right because it's all value typed mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so delegates don't make much sense in Swift UI but if you're using UI kit stuff well you kind of need delegates so you use this magic of the coordinator which gives you a class that is a reference type thing that uh, that you can use as your delegate kind of interesting yeah yeah. so I see that they link back to the Apple tutorials too I wonder if have, they, have those been kept up to date I wonder I went through those when WWDC first was a new th- a thing oh this also link, links back to the documentation on each one of these things as well cool yeah there you go gosh guard Swift UI mm-hmm. that's our pick alright so I guess that's it for another week so hey Mark if people want to get in touch with you how would they do that Mark R at smapsoft.com and how many people want to get in touch with you I'm on Twitter as at dev with a hair alright my name is Timitra T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me and so until next time we'll say bye 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 this has been another episode of the more than just code podcast this is friend of the show Mike Finockmans if you want to find out more about the show you can visit the more than just code website at mtjc.fm there you can find a summary and show notes of each episode we list links to the apps code and news that we mentioned on the show if you like the podcast tell your friends please leave a comment on the website and if you can please write a review on iTunes and please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher all of these things help others find out about the show we really appreciate your help with spreading the word we're also on Twitter Facebook and Instagram we'd love to hear from you so use the hashtag AskMTJC once again the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC thanks again for listening we'll see you next time